This is episode 140 of the Creative Giant Show. I'm Charlie Gilkey. Thanks so much for joining me today. This is our 11th question and answer episode, and Angela is joining me today to discuss some of the questions that we've received from our community at Productive Flourishing and in the Creative Giant Campfire. We're going to be discussing habit stacking, how to focus on important but not urgent projects, and I'm going to be sharing a few tips on Medium. Ready? Let's do this. Welcome to the Creative Giant Show, where we go behind the scenes about what it means to live a life full of creative and professional success. Creative giants are talented, renaissance souls with a compassion-fueled bias towards action. Now, here is your host, Charlie Gilkey. All right, all right. Hey, Angela. Hey. It's going to be a fun one today. Yep, absolutely. I'm looking forward to it. When is it not a fun one? Mm, I'm not sure. And we won't talk about that all night, right? No, probably not. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Now someone will ask about that. When is it not fun? All right. So we've learned that on these, like three questions tends to be about enough. And so I'm going to let you read the question and then we'll dive right in. Okay. Sounds great. So our first question uh, comes from our campfire uh, from Allison, and she is curious if you have any resources or links or suggestions that you can offer about habit stacking. Specifically, she's trying to figure out what teachables can be broken down into hacks or how she can take tiny habits and build them up. Okay. So there's a lot to that one. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to focus a little bit on habit stacking and a little bit on converting um, teaching into action. Okay? okay. So two different paths here. So habit stacking is basically the concept of you having one habit that you already do and you follow it with another habit that you're trying to learn. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of times what people think about when they think about habit stacking, when they think about habits is they think way too big. Yeah. Like they think about, I need to develop the habit of going to the gym, for Mm -hmm. instance, right? Not so much the habit of going to the gym. It's the habit of maybe getting your shoes on, or maybe it's the habit of getting your gym clothes um, on top of your cabinet at the end of the day so that you don't have to think about it the next morning or you get your stuff ready to go the night before you want to go to the gym. And that's the habit that you start that helps you with the rest of it. Mm Mm-hmm. And I talk a lot about habits. I don't know. I don't talk about a lot about on a lot about them on productive flourishing yet, right? Yeah, but uh, you talk about them a lot with your clients. I talk about them a lot with clients and students. So the thing about it is, sometimes we get a resistance of like, "Hey, I I suck at reforming habits, right? I suck at like I just can't do it." And it's actually not true. We all have habits. We all have certain things that we do first thing in the morning, mm-hmm. right? Um, if you drink coffee, that's a habit. Um, if you do certain things like check email first thing in the morning, that's a habit. So it's not that we don't have habits and people don't have that structure. It's that they don't have habits that work for them. Mm-hmm. Okay. So with habit stacking, you're typically taking some habit that you're doing and you're following it with some other habit that you want to learn. Okay. Or that you want to really practice and cultivate. Right. Mm-hmm. And so it might be, um, I'll give one for example. Right. Um, so when I go downstairs first thing in the morning, the first thing I do is turn on the water for tea. Mm-hmm. Okay. Then I go to the bathroom. And then by the time I'm out, the water is um, close to boiling. And then um, I'll get some tea and I'll sit down. So there's a certain process that I do there. When I used to drink coffee, um, it's not the time of the year that I drink coffee for different reasons. Like I would do that same process, water, mm-hmm. bathroom, back to water, grind the coffee, 
put the coffee in a little French press thing. And here's where you would introduce a habit, right? Mm -hmm. So let's say you wanted to spend a few minutes playing guitar every day. And that's what I would do, right? While my coffee was doing its brewing thing, I would pick up my little guitar that was right there, um, right behind our couch, right close to our kitchen. And mm -hmm. I would play a song or two. And then I would go get my coffee. Mm -hmm. And the habit of the water was the one that triggered the rest, right? Mm -hmm. So I stacked, well, habit in the bathroom, right? Water, so water and then bathroom, and that's just efficiency, right? Mm -hmm. um, so it was the triggering of getting, of, of pouring the coffee into the French press and waiting mm -hmm. that I stacked something else on. And that was a habit I was already doing, right? So the habit that I wanted to form was playing more guitar. Yeah. Um, I also have done the same thing with I've slid in using a kettlebell for uh, five to ten minutes while my coffee is doing whatever it's thing. Now, it's supposed to be mm -hmm. three minutes or whatever it's supposed to be on the French press, but I'd always get involved in doing something yeah. and sit there for a little bit. But either way, right, um, I had that five minutes of wait time, mm -hmm. and I would fill it with another little habit that I wanted to do, mm -hmm. right? Um, and then... After that, you might say, want to do your morning planning while you get your coffee, right? And so the thing with the stack is like you do the water, bathroom, drink, mm -hmm. guitar, drink, plan, drink, right? Or plan and then move on to maybe morning writing. Mm -hmm. And you stack a bunch of things on there. And that's really how when you look at people when they develop a really stellar morning routine, a lot mm -hmm. of times they just have a flow of things that they do like that. Yeah. Now, the importance of habit stacking, especially when it comes to morning routines like that or evening routines, mm -hmm. is that it sets up a mental default that gets you going. You don't lay there in that stupor of like, what am I doing today? Like, what's the first thing? And then like it's it develops that habit and you naturally flow into the next thing. Mm -hmm. And the next thing you know, you're an hour into your day and you've done all the stuff that you've needed to do. You've drank water, you've used the bathroom, you've um, done your daily planning, maybe you've played a little guitar, maybe you've done a little meditation. That's actually what I do now. So mm -hmm. in the springtime, um, it's um, wake up, water, bathroom, tea, meditation, mm -hmm. planning, mm -hmm. um, and then I'll flow into the rest of the day. Mm -hmm. um, so... Each one of those that I wanted, or what I want to point out is each one of those is what I like to call a micro habit. Yeah. Right? It's a little thing that you can do in a little bit of time. And um, I don't know that um, oh, BJ Fogg, I think is his name from Tiny Habits. Um, where's BJ Fogg, the psychologist? Anyways, we'll link up. Um, there's a psychologist, or there's someone who's been doing a lot of work on this, um, has a Tiny Habits program. And it's just really making those small habits, stacking them on, so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. Okay. So that's when you're developing the habit. As a teacher, you want to think in reverse. So a lot of times when we're teaching things the first time, mm -hmm. especially if we're super insecure and we're nervous, we make whatever we're trying to teach so incredibly hard for our learners mm -hmm. because we're wanting to deliver the very best stuff to them right then. Yeah. But really what a learner needs is a micro action to get started, mm -hmm. right? Um, if I say, hey, it's going to take you two hours before you can even get started on this thing, you're likely to procrastinate, delay, and or check out before you do that. So as a teacher, what you have to do is break down whatever you're teaching into micro chunks, the smallest possible chunk mm -hmm. um, that, you can, that you can pull down. Now, as an example of that, that's very abstract. 
um, you know, I was working on our new course, Start Finishing Your Projects, that's going to be up on Udemy. And I was going through a process of chunking and sequencing and building a roadmap. Mm-hmm. And I had a lesson that was just about like, hey, catch your action items mm-hmm. and get them on this particular workbook that we that we produce with the course. Um, and I was, I was like, okay, doing the recording and did other stuff. But then as I was driving to actually teach at Wayfounding Academy, mm-hmm. I realized I need to show people how to write action items. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, depending upon where you are in your productivity journey or your self-improvement journey, writing an action item might be something that is not a hard thing for you to do. Mm-hmm. Yet when you teach this stuff, you realize a lot of people don't know how to write an effective action item or what an action item that actually works for them. Mm-hmm. And so um, it was actually just this morning that I went back through and I added another lesson mm-hmm. with different resources that taught people how to write an action item. Yeah. Now that one thing, getting someone to write five action items is one of those little micro actions, right? So you could say, hey, go write your to-do list and get them all figured out and figure out your plan for the week, mm-hmm. right? And that's kind of the standard approach, right? Mm-hmm. Go make your plan for the week and everything will be great. Except for for people, for beginner learners, they actually need to write five action items first, mm-hmm. not figure out what their whole entire week looks like. Yeah. And so if we were converting that into a habit, maybe it would be write the five most important action items that you're going to do every day, every morning, right? That micro habit or that micro action mm-hmm. attached to a specific thing that they do routinely. And if I were to incorporate habit stacking, I would also say pair that right after some other activity that you do at the relevant time. Mm-hmm. Not checking email. Don't do that, mm-hmm. right? Don't do that first thing. But, um, you know, if you're drinking coffee or if you drink, if you make a smoothie or if you do anything like that, mm-hmm. um, Maybe the next thing is write your five action items, or maybe it's go for a walk and then write your five action items. Yeah. Can you um, just quickly, because we're talking about, you know, as a teacher and breaking things down for learners, what's an action item? So what is an action item? An action item is a, um, so pause here. The things that are most native to you are sometimes the hardest to explain. Absolutely. Right. So what most people would call a to-do item, mm-hmm. I call an action item. Okay. Um, and so there's basically, to write a good action item, you want to create an, a verb-noun construct, which means you take the noun that's the object of consideration, mm-hmm. and you place a verb in front of it, what you want to do to that particular object. Mm-hmm. So rather than writing book, right, mm-hmm. or rather than writing blog post, as a to-do list or as, a, as an action item, you would write draft blog post as an action item. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you really wanted to make smart action items, meaning simple, meaningful, actionable, realistic, and um, trackable, mm-hmm. then you would say draft blog post on action items mm-hmm. by the end of day Monday. Okay. okay. That would be how you would flesh out that full action item um, if you were going, going that far. So... Um, that's an example, but if your listener might notice that it took me a second to change gears mm-hmm. and figure like, okay, how do I explain this, mm-hmm. right? And so, good curveball there, Angela. But that's 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 really, I think, the trick. Yeah. I mean, she didn't do it to, to, to throw a curveball, but you have to get to the point where those types of things are um, where you can explain them. And yeah. I'm not saying a verb-noun construct is a particularly 
useful thing because if you do, if you're like in the sixth grade, you don't necessarily know what that means. But I assume mm-hmm. most of our people listening are not in the sixth grades, mm-hmm. sixth grade. But you take an action, you take a thing that you want to work on, mm-hmm. you put those two together, right, and it immediately makes that action item actionable. And by the way, that's the other reason why I use action item more than I used to do mm-hmm. is because um, I want people to think about the action required. Yeah. More than random sort of list or random yeah. sort of to do publish blog or blog post. Mm-hmm. Well, what are you going to do there? The other thing that, that Angela knows about me and anyone who's ever worked with me knows is that I can't look at an action item mm-hmm. that doesn't have a verb on it. Mm-hmm. Like I, it's hard for me to say like blog post. Mm-hmm. I have to think that because I'm always going to put a verb in front of it. Yeah. Right. And so you become so ingrained and, at the mental level, I know we're still talking about habits loosely here, but mm-hmm. when you're teaching, you're actually retraining someone's brain. That's what's happening. Yeah. Right? And there's the thing from um, neuroscience and neuroplasticity that what fires together, wires together. Mm-hmm. And if those things fire together enough, they will wire together, which is why I can't start an action item without a verb. It's so wired into me that it's just that impulse won't allow me. And like, I don't think about starting the water in the when I go down in the morning because mm-hmm. it's just wired as an activity. And mm-hmm. so most of things that we learn, mm-hmm. uh, most of the really big things that we learn are actually series of um, habits mm-hmm. or series of mental um, um, mental grooves that we placed in there along you know our, our different neural structures that those those synapses just fire. Mm-hmm. Um, just as a quick aside, this is why it's great to have a diverse set of friends. Yeah. Because they come in with different, um, different brain structures and different ways of thinking about things. Mm-hmm. Literally different ruts in their brain mm-hmm. that think about things differently, and it will ask, it will make like shake you out of whatever rut you're thinking. Because a lot of times when we have a difficult problem, mm-hmm. we keep trying to answer it in the same way. Yeah. That's getting us stuck. Yeah, for so, sure. There's a lot there. I know I kind of wove quite a bit in there. But the whole thing about habit stacking is that when we look at sort of the neuroscience of it, mm-hmm. is it is the least effortful way of changing um, the way your brain operates mm-hmm. through physical movement. Mm-hmm. And then you stack another thing on top of it. Mm-hmm. And you don't end up with one of those things where you have these series of ways to change your brain. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Great. Thank you. Mm -hmm. All right. So uh, moving on then to our second question, this one also comes from the campfire from Kim. And she says that she's mentally spinning her wheels, trying to figure out which of her important but not urgent projects to focus on first. The urgent stuff is distracting and there are too many of the other things as well. Can you offer some suggestions? I can try. Okay. <laughs> I can try. So first here, I wanted to I want to slide out that we have a post called um, "How to Referee um, Your Project Cage Match" mm-hmm. and how it unveils your priorities. But if you Google if you Google Project Cage Match, yeah, you will find this post, um, and um, we'll also put it in the show notes. So the basic idea of the Project Cage Match is this: um, the projects that matter that tie in more to your priorities and values. Mm-hmm are always going to beat smaller ones, okay. right? Are, are going to beat ones that don't tie into your priorities and values. Mm-hmm. Now, the trick is, this frustrates a lot of people, 
because there's there are these middle projects that are important but not urgent mm-hmm. that always get beaten mm-hmm. by the urgent and important ones. Yeah. Now, sometimes that happens because people don't acknowledge that they have actual values and priorities. Um, like we, we, I call them shadow, but sometimes you can call them shadow priorities. Like people think they're negative, but they're just things that you're not conscious of. They're, th- they're not things that you say, my value is being responsive to people who email me. Mm-hmm. But when you look at what you actually value, it's mm-hmm. being responsive to people who communicate with you. Mm-hmm. And... So um, what I'm saying there is a lot of things that are nested to, say, responsiveness are always going to be much more important or much more urgent and important, and other things are going to be displaced. Okay. Okay. So that's one of the things people don't like me saying, that actually you have a values or priorities mismatch here. Um, Because what we want, what we want is for those important but not urgent projects that keep falling, Mm -hmm. we actually want them to be the most important thing for us mm-hmm. and they're not okay all right um sociological observation here this is especially the case for women who tend to be in our society placed in the caretaker roles or accept caretaker roles and so their most important priority is actually say taking care of their kids or their family or you know their elderly um parents or something like that and mm-hmm. that's actually their true priority mm-hmm. but their creative work is less of a priority. Okay. Less of an actual priority to them. Mm-hmm. Um, but they want to operate as if it were more important than family. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that's what you got to watch out for. So the first thing you kind of do in that is acknowledge that you're, that, um, you know, to follow sort of Gandhi on this one, action expresses priority. Mm-hmm. Okay. So those things that you're acting on the most are probably things that are most important to you in some way, shape, or form. Okay. Big caveat here is fear. Yeah. And the reason I want to say that is because when you um, really analyze why people procrastinate and why they're perfectionists and why some of these urgent but not important, excuse me, important but not urgent projects are done, Mm -hmm. um, underneath that is some type of fear. Typically at root bottom, it's fear of ostracism Mm -hmm. or Fear of appearing incompetent. Hmm. Okay. Right. Um, Brene Brown's work has sort of commented or shown that there's a gender split between that, where women tend to feel um, more of the fear around ostracism mm-hmm. and men tend to feel more. So, you know, she would use shame, yeah. right? Women tend to feel more shame and embarrassment around being ostracized, whereas men will tend to feel more shame and vulnerability around competence. Mm hmm. Again, sociological, you know, sort of breakdown, not necessarily that it has to be that way. Mm-hmm. So one of the ways to get those important but not urgent projects to the top mm-hmm. is one, to get, to become truly aware of what your priorities are. Mm-hmm. And if that priority is actually more important, it's having the courage to claim that that's important to you and start changing your day, mm-hmm. maybe using some of the habit stacking stuff that we just talked about, mm-hmm. or changing your commu- your commitments or your expectations mm-hmm. so that you create the space for you to work on that project. Understanding that you're going to have to work through some fear of ostracism, some fear of letting things go, so on and so forth, right? Mm-hmm. 
Um, the second thing is if you've got the space to do it, like you wake up in the morning and you're like, I've got all day to do this thing. Mm-hmm. And you don't do it. At some level, it's probably about fear. Um, you're afraid to show your work. You're afraid that you don't have the, you're not the right person to do it. You're afraid that um, if you do it, that you're going to set a new bar for yourself and you don't know if you can keep that bar going. Mm-hmm. There are all sorts of fears that pop up there. And mm-hmm. so the second way to get them to the top of the list is really sit with those fears and start talking to them. Um, I think we've talked on the show before, but I like to use the um, claim it, name it, tame it sort of approach. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that sounds like something a coach would say, but hey, I'm a coach. <laughs> so first is you claim whatever that fear is. Like, yes, I'm afraid of feeling like a complete screw up. Mm-hmm. That's it. Then you name it. You give it a funny name. I like giving it a super funny name so that when you talk about it, it takes the sting from it. Mm-hmm. Um, so whatever that fear might be, I don't have it. So I don't have a good name for that one. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and then that's when you can start to tame it. Mm-hmm. Right. Cause when that fear shows up, it's like, Oh, you know, it's my third grade coach all over again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Hey coach, <laughs> how you doing today? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we got stuff to do. You sit over there and keep yelling at me. Not really going to work. Mm-hmm. Right. And you sort of separate yourself from it. Um, there's this weird thing. I, I don't remember keeping the reference from it. I hate when I do this, but um, there's a problem solving technique that I think is a fear illuminating technique as well mm-hmm. um, that, that works with the um, claim it, name it, tame it sort of thing. And that's you take whatever fear that you have. Imagine putting it in a bottle. Okay. Now imagine throwing that bottle into the sea, mm-hmm. and the tide sort of taking it out, taking it away from you. Um, now, when you actually sit and you do this visualization process, what it does um, is the reason it works for problem solving. The same reason it works for fear is that it detaches that particular problem and that particular emotion from you. Mm-hmm. Right, and you see that it's not a part of you, that it's not something intrinsically that, and you can you can see it from a different perspective. Mm-hmm. So, um, work on those fears, mm-hmm. um, and then the third thing I would say. So to recount, one is get clear about what your true values and priorities are. Mm-hmm. Two is to um, then see what fears are coming up that are keeping you from doing the thing. Mm-hmm. And then three, give yourself time to actually sit there and go through the discomfort of not knowing what you're doing and not knowing how it's going to turn out. So a lot of times I think people think that when they've essentially made the space, mm-hmm. they've made the commitment first, right? And then they've um, sort of faced the fear. Mm-hmm. There's a thought that, like, then you sit down and the work just flows from you. Mm-hmm. Sometimes. Sometimes you sit there and nothing comes. Yeah. Right? And so it's just sitting through that process, learning to outline, learning to brainstorm, learning to mind map, but stay in the creative tussle. Mm-hmm. Right? Rather than just jumping to Facebook. Yeah. Rather than just jumping to see if the laundry is done. Mm-hmm. Right? Or jumping to see, you know, whatever there is to see. Don't jump away from it. Just sit with that discomfort, that creative tension. Yeah. And um, lean into it until something starts flowing. Yeah. I have a question for you on that, actually. Um, It's something that, like, I was listening to what you're saying, and it was all resonating with me. 
And it was all completely like, it's like you were reading my mind. I mean, all the crap in my head all the time. But the one thing that kept coming up for me is like, what if it's not that I'm afraid of it? What if it's important to do, but I don't want to do it or it just sucks or it's not something that I enjoy, but it's still important. Yeah. So, Angela, you know this. I, there's this unpublished post that I've had for a long time, <laughs> right? That um, when we talk about important and urgent, um, that comes either from Eisenhower uh-huh. or from Stephen Covey. Like it, it's unclear, yeah. but Stephen Covey popularized it. So you have a two by two grid mm-hmm. where you have urgent, not urgent on the x axis, mm-hmm. and important and not important on the y axis. Mm-hmm. And so that's going to give you four little blocks. Right? Yeah. Um, there's a lot of value to that, but I actually like to think in terms of like um, fun and frog, right? Mm-hmm. On um, the on the x-axis, right? So fun things and then frog things, and frogs are just those things you don't want to do, mm-hmm. right? And then on the y-axis, future building, and on the bottom, firefighting, mm-hmm. right? And so, um, and typically, I'll say the. Um, the fun is on the right axis just because I like mm-hmm. positive on the right and positive on top. Right. Mm-hmm. And so um, the reason I like that framework a little better is that it does pull in this fun element. And I know we as mm-hmm. adults have a um, love hate relationship with fun. We want to have more fun, <laughs> but yeah. we feel awkward as adults using fun. Mm-hmm. And then we feel awkward as adults prioritizing fun. Mm-hmm. And so we want more of it. But we don't let ourselves have it. Yeah. So, if it's a frog, something that's important, mm-hmm. not urgent, and just needs to get done. Yeah. Um, that's still just a matter of like getting it done, and I know that's not useful for a lot of people. <laughs> Ironically, I I uh, just republished our post, just get it done today. Mm-hmm. Um, because the reality is, there's always going to be something. That you don't want to do. Yeah. Right. That's part of it. But I think we tell ourselves a big story about that. Mm-hmm. Like, I shouldn't have to do this. Like, I'm better than this. And I wish this would go away. And is there a system for this? When it's like, no, it's like taking a shower sometimes. Although I like taking a shower. Right. But it's yeah. like those bio tasks that we have to do. Right. Mm-hmm. You just do them. You mm-hmm. know? Um but on those types of things, I would say that's where chunking it down into super small actions mm-hmm. helps get it done because okay. then you're only committing to like, I'm just going to make this call. Okay. Right. I'm just going to do this one thing mm-hmm. um, and get it done. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, that's what I would say is like those things you just want to do. We call them frogs. Yeah. Is that, um, yeah. And try to get them done. There's two, two sort of strategies for frogs. We've written about this. I'll put it in the show notes. The name of the post is A Frog a Day Keeps Your Anchors Away, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the thing about frogs are that there's no point in time where you're going to want to do that thing. Mm-hmm. Like, you know a frog when you see it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just going to get hairier and bigger and wartier <laughs> the longer it sits there. Mm-hmm. So understand that one of the first strategies for, getting, for taking care of frogs is to catch them when they're small mm-hmm. rather than when they're those warty bastards that just like, you know, <laughs> hang over you forever. Yeah. Right. So that's one thing. Um, two different getting it done strategies. 
One mm-hmm. is do it first thing so that it's done mm-hmm. and it's not weighing over you all day and it helps keep your anchors away. Mm-hmm. Um, that's one strategy. Second one is to do something you want to do mm-hmm. and then you sandwich the frog in there and mm-hmm. then you end it with something that you want to do. Yeah. So um, in my um, less um, civilized moments, I like to call this sandwiching the suck, right? So you put mm-hmm. the thing that sucks in between other things that you like, mm-hmm. right? And then you know... Like, you don't wake up. I know some people wake up and they don't want to be like, the first thing is that I do today is this thing I don't want to do. Mm-hmm. Well, first off, you don't have a good morning routine, if that's what you're thinking, right? Yeah. Because you don't have all this other stuff that takes care of you. But all <laughs> setting that aside, mm-hmm. um, I also know what it's like to be like, I got I to gotta do the thing. I don't want to do the thing. Got to do the thing. And so, like, sandwiching the suck in that way lets that creative five-year-old of us be like, yay, I got to do something fun. Mm-hmm. And then I'm going to do this adulting thing, which can be hard. Right. And and do this thing I don't want to do. But then I get to end it with something fun. Like, this is not going to be the totality of my day. Yeah. Doing this thing. Yeah. So. I get it. I get it. Okay, cool. Thank you mm-hmm. for that. All right. So our last question um, comes from Althea on the campfire. And she wants to know if you have any advice, tips, or suggestions on using Medium. And... Since I am one of the least tech-savvy people on our team, I would actually, I mean, I know what Medium is, but if you could actually tell us first what what she's talking about and then some advice and tips, that'd be awesome. <laughs> okay, great. So Medium is a project that was um, started by Ev Williams. Um, Ev is the guy that created Blogger way back in the day, mm-hmm. and then he moved on to um, be the co-founder of Twitter. Okay. Right. And then he started Medium. Right. And so Medium is a hybrid product or hybrid um, product that's, that's, I'm a mixture of a hosting um, platform, Mm -hmm. a social community. Okay. And a product, a, a, um, so we typically look at it content, community, and product is really what Medium is. And it pulls them all together. Okay. And so rather than um, it's it's like Facebook for people who like to write and respond and read and things like that, right? So okay. um, the thing about it is that um, it's kind of like explaining RSS. I was talking to Corey Huff about this the other day. We spent years explaining RSS, mm-hmm. right? Um, but the best thing that I can say is it's like Facebook, except for um, for. Um, more long form, pro- more long form, form post um, and okay. essays and articles, and there's a variety of different things on there, from literary criticism to history to feminism to whatever. It's just it's one of those platforms, and so okay. that's really what it is. Okay. Um, I'm trying to think if I want to say anything. So is it is it like is it similar to blogging? But with more community, it's and like more if we were all conversation. Yeah, it's like if we were all blogging on this at the same place on the same platform. Okay, right. So rather than like being on productive flourishing and writing a post and uh-huh. then Angela writing at AngelaWheeler.net, right? Mm-hmm. It would be us writing on the same place, multiplied by millions of people okay. all writing on the same place. A few things to know about medium that I actually love. So Angela knows this. I'm really, really bullish on medium right now. If you are mm-hmm. a writer 
and you're stuck in that I need to start a website and a blog and stop, stop now, mm-hmm. go sign up for Medium. Okay. Just, just stop, go sign up for Medium. Write your first 25 to 50 posts and then decide if you need to actually have a website for that. Okay. Now, the reason I say that is because, um, again, think of the... <laughs> Think of the history here. So Blogger was kind of like this platform. It ended up getting um, superseded by other technology. Twitter is kind of like that as well, right? Mm -hmm. So it's kind of an easy way to say it's like Twitter, but for long-form writing and other forms of expressive um, writing. I I keep saying writing because it is a writerly community, Mm -hmm. but you can embed all sorts of media, YouTube, um, audio. Like It's got a lot of different functions to it. Okay. So you can show up there, you can write your post, you are submitting your post. When you hit publish, you're you're hitting publish to a community of people who are there to read that type of stuff. Mm -hmm. So a few things to know about Medium. One is your profile is a really powerful place because it shows everything that you've written, everything that you've responded to, everything that you've recommended. Okay. Right. It's just one place where people can look at your profile. So if you go to medium.com, um, at Charlie Gilkey, you'll find me, mm-hmm. right? And you can see everything I've written, how many people follow me. You can link out to social media. You can link back to my website, right? So you can see all those types of things. And so it's a great way to, when you're getting started, to just have a place where your writing is going and getting commented on, mm-hmm. right? So one, your profile is your one hub. Two, figure out by using it which tags you most are interested in. And that's the other thing that makes medium work mm-hmm. is that you follow certain tags like self-improvement or productivity okay. or entrepreneurship or feminism or diversity mm-hmm. or um, startups or poetry or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. You follow that tag and it will show you how many people are following that tag. Okay. So for instance, self-improvement has about 62,000 people following that tag. Okay. That means that when I publish something and it has self-improvement that's tagged on it, then people who follow that are eventually, theoretically, going to see it, mm-hmm. right? Um, and so you figure out what what tags that you want to follow, right? And so just tags or topics. That's the only thing that you want to say, tags or topics. Mm-hmm. And so you follow those different types of topics. And so that's sort of the, the other key that you got to know. Mm-hmm. Profile is um, your home base to pick topics that really interest you. Mm-hmm. Important. Don't pick ones that are of strategic value. Pick mm-hmm. ones that fundamentally interest you okay because if it's just strategic value then it's just going to be more stuff that you're going to read but you want to read stuff you want to go there to read stuff that, that really interests you and what i love about medium is because ever like a lot of people are writing there mm-hmm. you discover all sort of writers and topics mm-hmm. and things like i've over the last month or two where i've been exploring this and really over the last three weeks where i've been like deep in it mm-hmm. discovered so many amazing things and mm-hmm. Angela knows this because we talk about it, uh, stuff that pops up. Like I'll be thinking about something, mm-hmm. and because I'm following tags that I interested, in, I'm interested in topics that I'm interested in, people that I'm interested in. That thing that I'm thinking about, I end up finding some framework or some insight that mm-hmm. I wasn't necessarily looking for, but that was relevant to what I was going through. Yeah. So that's super good. Um, then the third thing is going to be follow publications. Mm-hmm. Publications are like. Like blogs, but they're on Medium. Okay. okay. So, like, we have a Productive Flourishing Outpost on Medium mm-hmm. um, that's right now sharing some of our best stuff. But as we go forward, we'll just, whenever we post on Productive Flourishing, we'll also push it to Medium as well. 
Okay. Right. And so those are like going to any other blog or any other sort of website. Like you get a more organized way of seeing that publications or that websites or that community or that group of people's work. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, now, all that's sort of the setup. Mm-hmm. But why, for me, I love Medium is because the comments are really good. Hmm. Um, and so you respond to people, right? When they write something, you can highlight things, you can highlight something and they respond to that particular highlight. Mm -hmm. And so you can have this either global conversation that says, Hey, great story. Mm -hmm. Or you can take this one paragraph or this one sentence that really spoke to you. It either lit you up or fired you up or did something. Mm -hmm. And you can leave a comment that specifically addresses that one point. Mm. It's a beautiful thing. Okay. It's a really, really beautiful thing. So what I really recommend here is that people, one, set up their profile. Don't make it super hard. Mm-hmm. If you can set up Twitter, you can do this. Mm-hmm. right? Um, two, follow those topics that they that most fire them up. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it actually does a pretty good job of onboarding you, mm-hmm. giving you different topics and telling you what's related to what. Um, and even if you don't want to go down the publications rabbit hole, mm-hmm. See what content will spin up on those topics mm-hmm. and then respond, like recommend things, highlight things, mm-hmm. comment on stuff. Mm-hmm. It's the best way to sort of jump in there and get a feel for the community. Mm-hmm. It's also if you're wanting to be strategic and get followers, it's also the best way to get followers. Right. Okay. Um, and so um, what's important here is if you were going to spend Let's say 30 minutes a day. Mm-hmm. And I know you're like, yeah, another 30 minutes to do. So here's what I'm going to tell you to do. People are going to get mad at me about this. <laughs> replace Medium with Facebook. Like, just don't go to Facebook. You mean replace Facebook with Medium? Yeah, replace Facebook with okay. Medium. Yeah. yeah. So just the Facebook time that you have, unless you're in really good groups that are really inspiring you and something like that, replace that with Medium. Because it's still a social network in that same way. Mm-hmm. Um, except for I think it has better brain food and has a better community. Um, if you want to get involved in political discussions there, you actually have space to formulate an actual response and argument, and you're going to see people weigh in and do so in many ways, much more um, rationally and civilly and um, mm-hmm. with much more evidence. Mm-hmm. And so if that's what you want to do, um, you're going to lose the updates about your your friends and their family and things like that. But Mm -hmm. um, I was also reading on Medium from a publication called Thrive Global, which is a good good publication, Mm -hmm. about how when you look at, um, they did a survey, or they did a scan of people's iPhone use, Mm -hmm. or their their, their smartphone use, and their happiness. And they actually found that the apps people were spending the most time on Mm -hmm. are the ones that were making them the most unhappy. Mm-hmm. Facebook was high up there. Yeah. Right. Um, and so people are like, where are you going to find the time? Drop something that's not nourishing you mm-hmm. and go to Medium and comment and, and read on, comment with people and read, read about things that you're actually interested in. Yeah. Because it does a pretty good job of curating those things. Yeah. Um, and get involved in the conversation. Think of it not so much as posting, mm-hmm. but just as a conversation. And what I'll say on that is that the hierarchy of content on Medium is really, really flat, meaning like 
we tend to have a view that like an article is at a certain place in the content hierarchy and maybe a short post is in another place and then maybe a tweet is at another place and then a book. So we've got this sort of hierarchy of um, important work or something like that, right? And I mm -hmm. think it really intimidates us, mm -hmm. right? Um, I know this because when I talk to people about writing books, mm -hmm. they're like, I can never write a book. And I'm like, well, can you write a short book? Um, and they're like, I can never write a short book. But then you look at two or three of their essays mm -hmm. and they're a short book yeah <laughs> right um, but we place this sort of weight on the content hierarchy now what medium does it's really interesting is because every response shows up as a story mm -hmm. um, it actually doesn't differentiate between you leaving a comment mm -hmm. and commenting on something and you writing a story yeah so you can still like when you publish material there you can still go through there and publish your responses using those tags and topics. So if it's about business or if it's about creativity or whatever it is, you can still tag it that way. And people who are interested in business and creativity would actually have that show up in their feed as well. Mm -hmm. So it's a way to sort of ease your way into the community mm -hmm. rather than thinking like, man, I got to come out with like this 800 word post that's going to really like change things and like yeah. the big bad internet is going to come after me. Yeah. Um, the other thing is that um, though there are some writers who use um, anonymous profiles, mm -hmm. most people use their real profile. Mm -hmm. And so they're real people talking there. And so you don't necessarily get the anonymous trolls yeah. that you might get elsewhere because people have to use their own name. And I think that's a smart move by Medium. Yeah. Um, just that that's a norm. Yeah. So I think that's one of the reasons we get better conversations than on the rest of the internet. Mm -hmm. um, and they also do a good job of blocking spam because they're real people. Yeah. So, yeah. um, I find, uh, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, you know, I'm kind of finding what I'm seeing is we had these, you know, three questions we talked about today or, you know, questions for you that you discussed and the thread that I'm seeing coming through all of these actually is bigger is not necessarily better. You know, like when we talked about habit stacking, talking about how to get started in medium, if it's something, you know, that you're curious about or interested in, and even talking about, you know, our important and or urgent projects, you know, I'm, I guess for me, what I'm taking away right now is just thinking about, you know, not getting overwhelmed in the big world of any one of these things. And those small steps that that we can take to become, you know, that we can take to form the habits that we want to have that lead us to the more healthy and or productive or creative or loving lives that we want, you know, the smaller pieces of the project with the action items. And then, you know, the small things you can do to, to kind of dip your toe into medium and see if it's a good place for you. I, I don't know. I, I'm seeing that thread throughout this. I'm glad you're seeing that thread, and I'm glad you pulled that out. Um, let's zoom up for a second. Okay. Um, I think a lot of creative giants get stuck in that sort of thinking big and acting big sort of scenario, mm -hmm. right? But really, think when you really reflect on it, like we definitely want people to think big about what they can do in the world. Mm-hmm. But we want them to take small actions towards those big things. Yeah. Because it's when you try to take big actions all the time, mm 
mm-hmm. that you never really get anywhere, right? Yeah. Because you're you're always waiting on that big thing. But if you can start getting that kinesthetic feedback from the world that you like this, you don't like this, mm-hmm. this fires you up, this doesn't fire you up, then you can lean more into it, right? Mm-hmm. And so, I don't know. I think think about a movie for a second, right? I'd like a three hour long movie. Mm-hmm. It seems like an epic movie these days, right? Yeah. It's thousands of individual screens, mm-hmm. thousands of individual frames glued together mm-hmm. to create that that particular thing. Just like, you know, a book is thousands of words mm-hmm. stringed together in a coherent way. Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes we focus on the book mm-hmm. and forget that it all comes down to writing words. Yeah. So... Thanks so much for pulling that out, because that's really yeah. what it is. I mean, what I'll say here is that though creative giants tend to be change tolerant mm-hmm. or change prone, mm-hmm. um, when it starts talking about things that matter most to you, mm-hmm. um, I think that's where people get stuck because of the bigness of change. Yeah. Right? So this is weird thing where we are completely comfortable changing stuff that doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. And we'll change and swirl and have fun and chase bright, shiny objects and all those types of things. The things that fundamentally don't matter. Mm-hmm. But then refuse to take the small actions on the things that do. Yeah. And so that's a, one way to take it. Take it. Like a habit, the habit stacking thing, absolutely. Mm-hmm. How do you take small, consistent, repeated actions to build yourself into the person that you want to be? Mm-hmm. On the... Important but not urgent projects, how do you make room for those normally in small actions Mm -hmm. to focus on the things that matter most, which may not be the things that are most urgent? Mm -hmm. And then on medium, it's how do you get it started? The last thing I'll say about medium real quick is if you don't like it, you just hate it and it's terrible, delete your account. Yeah. (laughs) That's why I really recommend people start there rather than a website because by the time you bought a domain and you've done all the work and you've done all that jazz... Mm -hmm. You get really hesitant to walk away from it. Mm-hmm. And so with Medium, you start, you have fun with it, you stick with it, you don't have fun with it, delete your account and find something else. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, I think that's it for today. That is it for the day. So this is, again, our 11th question and answer episode. We source questions in the Creative Giant Campfire. Um, if you are not the social type and you just want to send us an email, you can do that. Um, we also have a contact form on our website. Um, you can go to productiveflourishing.com forward slash contact and say, hey, I have a question for the show. So um, we really like answering questions. We really like having it be a conversation because we really see this as a conversation. Mm-hmm. So if something is... Um, you know, kicking around in that, you know, three to four pounds of gray matter up there, and you'd (laughs) like to ask us about it, then go ahead and contact us. And until next time, stand tall. We're having some great conversations in the Creative Giant Campfire, our free Facebook group. Search for Creative Giant Campfire in Facebook to join us there. It's where we're grabbing these suggestions, but we're also sharing prompts, micro posts, and other content that helps us stand tall together. And if you're digging the Creative Giant Show, I'd really appreciate it if you'd leave a rating or review on iTunes. If you're not familiar with how to do this, there's a walkthrough available on the podcast page on ProductiveFlourishing.com. Thanks. Thanks for listening to the Creative Giant Show. To find more tools and inspiration for creative giants, head on over to ProductiveFlourishing.com. 
Stand tall, creative giant.